You're listening to the Future Composer Podcast, a show that empowers composers, musicians, and artists with knowledge. Now, here's your host, John Presley. Tyler Bates is a Los Angeles-born composer who has scored 60 feature films, including blockbusters like 300, Watchmen, and Dawn of the Dead. He recently scored Marvel's 2014 film Guardians of the Galaxy, one of the highest-grossing movies of all time. In addition to his work as a film composer, Tyler also co-wrote and co-produced Marilyn Manson's 2015 album, The Pale Emperor. He scored tons of hit movies and television shows. He's a badass guitarist, and I'm excited to talk music with him today. Tyler, welcome to the Future Composer Podcast. It's good to, good to be here. So I like to start off with you painting a picture for the audience. Walk us through a perfect day of writing music where everything goes right. What does that day look like for you? <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay, so, you know, I don't know if there's ever a day where everything goes right. Every day is is uh, rife with challenges of one sort or another, whether it be uh, problem-solving deadlines. You know, there's just so many things to address in a day. But on a creative basis, I tend to start early in the day, regardless of the night before, which usually goes very late. There's a couple hours in the morning before the emails come in and the phones start ringing where I need to really plant the seeds for whatever my mission is that day creatively. So if I capitalize on that time and uh, I'm fortunate enough to receive, uh, you know, some kind of inspired idea from wherever it comes, the universe, whatever you would like to call it, uh, then that's a great day. And then obviously, since we're in the service-oriented business, when uh, my directors, showrunners, and producers are happy upon delivery of new music, um, that always feels great. But it's it's like the house that's never completely painted. So, <laughs> so you don't want to get too caught up in the end game. You want to continue your pursuit uh, on a daily basis and, and try and enjoy uh, the fun things that can occur if you're available to them so i'm always always looking for that i'm looking to to have special moments with uh writing material and collaborating with others now i know you've scored something like 60 some films is that correct yeah i don't know how many but it's it's up in the 60s somewhere so a lot of films Obviously, you've got to have a team, people to help you. So how do you kind of carve out time to be able to sit down and write? Because between budgets and emails and phone calls and directors and things like that, you know, your priority is to create great music. So I'm assuming that you have to have people to help you to make this happen because there's only so many hours in the day. Yeah, there's there's not going to be a movie that anybody would see from this day forward that is a huge a uh, tentpole or blockbuster type film without a supporting cast to the composer. Um, I've worked with many of the same people for years and we've learned together through our mistakes and our successes. Uh, and that's more typical of my mentality. I don't like to cycle through people. You know, music is very personal to me. So I need to work with people who understand not only where I'm coming from and my sensibilities, but uh, people who have a, an investment of their own soul and their heart in the music because I want it to be transcendent and be as special as possible. So 
uh, I do have, you know, a core team of guys. Uh, Tim Williams has been working with me for quite a while. We used to be next door neighbors and met at the end of the driveway. And he's he's been the orchestrator on everything I've done for over a decade and conducts the orchestra for me. And he's also a very gifted composer and extremely humble. So he is definitely happy to come in and work in any capacity with me. Sometimes uh, sometimes when you're working on a movie, say like Guardians of the Galaxy, the editorial process is so frenetic that while you're trying to write forward into the movie, uh, the edit can change daily and you need to make adjustments to stay current with the film. And some, you know, oftentimes this is not something that is is doable through music editorial. So what happens if uh, you've already written a cue that's approved and real too, uh, and then there's a new concept for the first act of the film, you, there may be something intercut from real five into real two. And so therefore, if that cue is already being prepped for recording, because you record a couple different, you know, on a couple occasions during uh, the making of a Marvel movie, Perhaps you're very close to having a cue prepped for recording. Well, that may be in the hands of Tim, and we discuss the changes, and he then may, you know, take the existing cue and he'll conform to whatever the new cut is. But it often entails some creative and artistic decision making. And, you know, we talk about all of it, but still at the end of the day, that may be executed by him while I'm writing forward on another piece of music and there's really no time to no time to stall you have to keep things moving quickly or else people get nervous well i love hearing about your process and it's really fascinating to me how someone with a rock guitar background is able to create something for a blockbuster film with some serious orchestral chops so i'm curious how you were able to develop those skills moving from guitarist to writing for an orchestra? Well, I mean, first and foremost, I think with any art, what you're, what you're doing as an artist over your lifetime is you're learning to execute your ideas and you can, you can study and go to school, uh, anywhere in the world, but it doesn't necessarily give you great taste. And, our taste and our ability to execute our ideas based on the sensibility of that taste or the culture of how we've developed our musical acumen is what makes us unique. And so for me, I don't, I mean, I identify with myself as a guitarist, but I've always been, you know, very open to a broad spectrum of music since the, since as far as I can remember, I've always listened to a wide variety of, of artists and genres. So, um, that's all influenced my, my music, not only in rock and roll, but in my film work. And it took me a while to be honest with you. When I first started scoring movies to even do anything that wasn't terrible. I think I did one out of my first 18 movies that it was to me like decent. And uh, I had never met another composer until after I did 18 movies, which is really bizarre. Never met anyone, never met anyone who had done music. So I did not go to a formal music school. But if you're listening to music, not film music, but listening to music and you're paying attention to what's going on in the world, 
there should be a source of inspiration matched with, you know, a, an artist's unique sensibilities that would be a great foundation for formulating a unique voice. You know, there's really no point in going to school and taking down, you know, 20 measures of Star Wars for a quarter and, you know, analyzing what John Williams did. That's great work to do as a hobby or whatever you want to do on the side. But that job doesn't even exist in reality, if you think about it. It's once John Williams isn't scoring movies, there there are going to be very, very few composers who are treated with that degree of respect and uh, who are as autonomous as John Williams probably is artistically. So I think the most important thing is to get to know who you are as an individual and who you are through your music so that as you navigate every challenge that you can maintain your sense of individuality and there that in that way you can write from a, a point of strength regardless of how daunting the challenge is you you know when you don't know who you are you end up becoming you know someone who's taking dictation and that generally comes by way of of general direction and a temp score and and to me, I just, I can't, I can't subscribe to that in this career. And so that's why on all the movies I work on, I'm writing from script phase if I'm allowed to. So like we mentioned earlier, you co-wrote and co-produced Marilyn Manson's most recent album. I'm curious what elements you brought from your film scoring mentality to that production. I know being in the studio producing an album, that's nothing that's new to you, but after having such a you know a big run of movies and success as a composer, then to step back into that role, what did you bring from from your compositional world to producing this album? You know, what's very interesting is my experience in film and television has um, been one of you know a broad spectrum of personality types and incredible amounts of pressure. So. No matter what it looks like on the outside, no matter how fun or beautiful movie is, it's not made without a great degree of stress. And part of that is is the way your interactions go with people. Through the years, I've learned to be patient and to hear what it is people want to say and then interpolate that. Uh, into music so with Manson we met while I was working on Californication he was on the show you know we knew each other for about a year or so before we decided to get into a studio situation together and just see what would happen there was no formal agreement between us but it was uh, it was my film experience that probably made the process I created for him not feel like all the process he's engaged in leading to that point because he hates going to a typical recording studio and standing in a vocal booth and all that. You know, when he's in my studio, we're having a conversation. We sit next to each other when we're in record mode and, you know, we're in the headphones together, we play together. And so it's more enjoyable, it's more communicative or more interactive. Um, and when I have directors and producers in my studio, I oftentimes will play for them uh just based on a conversation we're having you know just to iterate an idea so that we can get a dialogue 
going between us. It's a, it's a way of including people who are not well-versed in musical terminology. And once you invite people into the conversation, it tends to be a much more exciting and pleasant experience. So I try and break down all the frustrations that people will have because they're not sure how to engage in that creative conversation. And so through doing that for, you know, quite some time, um, I think that was one of the greatest positive factors on my collaboration with Manson because it didn't feel like we were making a record. And so then you got a chance to tour that album and play live. What was that like? Oh, it was fun. It was fun. You know, when you play live with Manson, it's a full contact sport. You know, there's, there's things breaking and flying and, you, you know, you have to be pretty aware of your surroundings or else you're going to get hurt. But it's fun. I come from playing, you know, in rock bands. So, you know, even though I'm not trying to emerge as a rock star <laughs> definitely not i'm just having i'm having a good time you know performance is natural to me um you know obviously playing guitar is something that's always been a part of my life so to be able to go out on tour around the world and play music i've written with him um including you know his catalog stuff it was it was fun and the guys in the band are great and they're they're a lot of fun to hang with and it also gave me enough uh anxiety that I wanted to come back into my studio and, and work on film and television again. You know, it's sort of like a post-traumatic <laughs> disorder. <laughs> so it's good. It's good for balance. You know, um, I don't sleep much, you know, cause when I work with Manson, I just work at night. So we work from, you know, eight o'clock till two, like he, he was over till two thirty this morning and I'm, you know, I'm up early in the morning working again. So, but I am going to go out uh, just to uh, to play, you know, a couple weeks on this this upcoming tour this month with Slipknot. So I'd love to go back just a little bit to your earliest memories of music, kind of your musical training, the hours of practice, learning those good, those bad moments that all made you into the musician that you are today. Sure, it's it's. The, the deeper you, you delve into your commitment to being a musician and or artist, the, the greater the highs and lows are and the greater the frustrations can be because you're really, it's as you break through each barrier, each wall, which, which is necessary to progress, it's almost that right before that happens, you feel like you're a horrible musician or a horrible artist. Like, you, you know, it's, it's, it's when the greatest amount of resistance meets you and, and you need to be tenacious in your pursuit of, you know, breaking through those walls in your life, in your career. And, and I don't think it's just music and art. I think it's with everything. I think it's a matter of constantly wanting to progress as a person, be a better person, be a more open spiritual person, however you want to look at it. But to not stay in the same place as an artist, you're going to have to not sit in the safety zone and you'll want to break through those walls, which those challenges do make us feel inferior um, because it makes very apparent to us where we're, what we're lacking. That's part of the endeavor. So I, I, you know, I began listening to a wide variety of artists when I was very young from musicals 
you know, whatever, Jesus Christ Superstar, Frank Zappa, John Coltrane, Kiss, Black Sabbath, um, yes, and it continued from there. I did love progressive rock music, oftentimes inter- instrumental music. I So maybe in some way that's what made film music click for me at some point. Um, and those type of melodies that were vocalized in, in that music, especially Yes. Um, but uh, I would say that, that, you know, my greatest education was studying albums and arrangements and production and understanding the different types of players who played on records that I loved and, and starting to discern what their, what one, one player's sensibilities and style was versus another. And that's helped me develop my ability to, um, transition from genre to genre in film and in, television work and in making records because I've never been in a band or had a band anything like Marilyn Manson and obviously Guardians of the Galaxy is a little bit different than the Rob Zombie movies I did in the past and you know to be authentic in each of these endeavors you know it requires uh, culturing in all styles of music and that means to truly not only accept things that are foreign to you, but to embrace them and to be excited about coming to understand what different styles of music are, what different statements artistically are about and, and to embrace that, uh, that endeavor. So I find it exciting. I feel like I'm just beginning in my musical life and that's how I want to feel till I'm dead. So I think that that's a choice that maybe I don't know if I've made it consciously, but that's something that's very, very important to me. So the common theme I seem to get from all that is that you've constantly been pushing yourself to learn, to to get better, but not just at music, but at life and as a person and to be to be a good person, to be well-rounded, to be full of, of all the potential that you can be. And it kind of leads me into talking about the habits that you've developed, I think this applies to people that are listening that are want to be composers, are composers, are artists, musicians, maybe they just work an office job. I think it all applies in life to kind of those habits, those routines that you really cling to that you know have pushed you forward. What would those be? Well, for one, I've, I've flown without a net. Um, most composers today have worked with other composers, you know, and through that experience, they've become, you know, feature composers on their own. I never worked with anyone. So I've had to, I've had a very odd education in music. Um, I would say with, with the pursuit of life as an artist or as a composer, you have to ask yourself, you know, are you on a path to be, relatively satisfied with the way you have approached your life or are you waiting for something to happen in life down the line that's going to afford you the possibility of pursuing life as an artist and I think that is probably a mistake if there's any tumult within you uh, about working a day job over being an artist I painted houses just because I could go in make some money, 
beautify a place and get out. And I knew it would never, it would never pull me away from music. Now, if you're working as a paralegal, the odds of doing that and growing comfortable with the routine of doing that and the money and all that stuff would probably distract you or detract you from from truly pursuing a vital career as an artist. I, I've said it a million times, but Stephen Pressfield's book, The War of Art, is a fantastic, very quick read. I actually just read that about two weeks ago. And that's, you know what, that book, it's, I've given it away so many times, but it's good to have around and read it every nine months, you know, because we allow ourselves to slip into convenient bad habits. Everybody does it. I don't care who you are, you have them. And I think that it's a very fun, honest insight into our tendencies as uh, entrepreneurs or or artists. And, and it's good to come clean with the truth of where you're at. You can't read that book and not acknowledge some of your the bullshit that we allow ourselves or afford ourselves on a daily basis. So, you know, it's good. It's good to just give yourself an honest uh, overview of where you're at and what your time management is about and how hard you're pursuing your goals. And look, man, you're never on 10 all the time. I mean, as as composers, we all go through periods of burnout. You can't just you can't shit out a ton of movies and TV every year after year without going through down cycles. So. We need to do things that are necessary in life, like have some experiences that are not in our job context uh, and have some fun so that we can bring that back into our creative space and we can be energized. So some people think I'm nuts because I work nights making records with Manson. But to me, it's important to be part of of helping an artist like that, which there's hardly anybody, if anybody left, who's willing to, to say the things that people think that it don't want, that they don't want to say out loud and to do the same things, you know, and, and also to be unabashedly unapologetic for what they're doing as an artist. I think that's cool. I think it's important. And given the lousy state of rock and roll right now, it's fun to be part of of that. So I get amped up when I work with him because I do play guitar and I write all the music and we have a great dialogue. It's very fun. Um, it's hard work. But stuff like that makes me want to go write my next theme for Guardians of the Galaxy. And, and the funny thing is, is, you know, the difference between somebody like Marilyn Manson and James Gunn is huge. However, they both bring something out very positive in me and I get better for the experience of doing it. And I think conversely, I do the same with them. And that's what I'm interested in doing in this life. Of course, I want to get paid, but that's not as important to me as the experience. You know, I don't get a rush when I see my name in a billing block and, you know, that's not what I'm about. I'm about, you know, trying to meet challenges to have great relationships with people and hopefully at the throughout each pro each uh, experience i have you know improving as a as an artist altogether 
Well, you and Manson both are trailblazers in your careers, in the path that you've taken in the music industry. And what I think is really cool is that your scores, like, for example, in the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack, they compete with anybody who has that maybe perfect musical pedigree from a prestigious school. You have the ability to compete on that level, even though you've taken a completely different road. Well, the education aspect, bear in mind, you there's a lot of benefit from going to a formal music school. There's no question about it. However, if you don't go, it does not mean that you cannot learn as much or more as, as you would learn in a music school. Bear in mind, the people teaching film scoring a thousand times out of a thousand and one have never scored a real movie. Okay, they don't work in the industry. I mean, when you get into the industry, the 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 gap between the perception of what it's about when you're in any school, I don't care what school you're going to, and actually being in the business, the, that gap is so vast that it's mind-blowing for anybody. So the experience of life and getting into the business and working in it is huge. You can learn the technical aspects of music, the theory, the harmony and counterpoint. Those things can be studied independently. Nowadays, it's so easy. You can find professors giving classes on YouTube. So all this knowledge has to be applied to, to ideas for it to manifest into something valuable. Anybody can learn anything. It's still about being the artist that is distinct. So as we start to wrap up, I'd love for you to tell us about your studio, the kind of instruments you use, hardware, software, as much as you want to completely nerd out and share with us a bit <laughs> about your workspace. Uh, people love that. So tell, tell me about the, your space that you work in. You know, it depends what mode I'm in. I do change synths out a bit. And, you know, I like a combination of analog and digital uh, instruments. Uh, I'm definitely have embraced the digital stuff more now because the time constraints I work under are ridiculous. Uh, especially when you have schedules that are moving around and you find yourself with three projects or more sometimes intersecting, you have to crank out a lot of music every week. So, you know, some of the virtual synths are very helpful. Obviously, like nuts and bolts, Omnisphere is a great tool. Um, all the native instrument stuff is very useful. I like Serum. I think that's a fun synth to play with. All the Sugar Bite stuff I think is really valuable to use. As far as plugins, you know, I love the UAD s stuff. I think that's probably the the most well modeled uh, replicas of any hardware that's ever been made. Um, those are great production tools. Um, I work in Pro Tools quite a bit, even with film scoring, because I integrate so many live performances into the development of my ideas, whether it's vocals or it's soloists or it's things that I'll play. And I find Pro Tools to be, for that, you know, the greatest when you're talking about recording and editing and when it comes to programming logic or cubase has it beat hands down <laughs> um, some people use performer that's cool i look at all of these platforms as 
you know, your own choice of hammer and nails, you know, it's however, uh, you find it most easy and, and, and giving you the greatest flow with transcribing your ideas from your head into actual music. So I don't really think that, uh, there's one correct way of going about it, but Cubase, I'm transitioning back into that. I have logic. I use VSL on one of my computers to host the majority of my orchestral instruments. And, uh, I have logic, uh, to use the EXS 24 sampler to play back thousands of sounds that my friend Wolfie and I have made over the years, um, for every new movie project that involves atmospheres and, and non-orchestral sounds, uh, we'll develop a whole suite of new material through modular synth experiments, sometimes taking the source sound from humans or, you know, I love Dave Smith's Evolver. It's, it's a simple little tabletop synth, not expensive, money well spent. That thing does some crazy stuff. And so we may record that and then take that another step through modular synth experiments and seeing what we can do now at the end of the day, eighth note pulses, you know, bass pulses and things of that nature. You know, there's a million different, uh, plug-in synths that do that stuff now, but I like to have my own sounds. What about for recording guitar? Recording guitar. I might, I'll be honest with you. My setup for the, the last Manson record was very, very simple. I use, um, a UA 610 preamp, and that's going directly into Pro Tools. And I pretty much mic nearly all the guitars with an SM57 through an old PB Classic 410 amp, which was, in my opinion, the only great amp they ever made. I normally play Marshalls for live. But in here, record on the new record, I'm playing some more aggressive guitar riffy stuff. So you know, I'm in, I'm integrating different pedals and different microphones just to capture a little bit more of an, uh, you know, a bit more of an aggro guitar performance. Uh, I love guitar pedals. Uh, Earthquaker Devices has a number of pedals that I think are really fun to use, and it, I think they relate well to film and television music as well as performing live. Um, but I'm like a pedal geek. I've got, you know, hundreds of pedals that I like to play around with and, and experiment with, you know, and see what, what happens if we do this and what happens if we do that. You know, I, I try and preserve that time for myself because it makes me feel like a kid. Well, I, I know people are really going to love that inside baseball talk about gear. So I really appreciate you telling me all that. It kind of leads into the last question, which, you know, you're an accomplished guitarist. We have a lot of musicians listening, a lot of guitarists listening. What's your best practice tip for any musician that's listening? Well, obviously you want to play your instrument enough to have the dexterity to express any kind of idea that comes to mind. And you're never going to be able to get completely to where you want to be. And if you are, you're probably missing a huge part of the artistic element of being a musician that that is worthy. <laughs> um, I would say the most important thing is to find that 
that quality within yourself that makes you identifiably yourself. There are guitar players that are not considered the greatest guitar players in the world that you recognize immediately, whether it's The Edge or Angus Young or Tony Iommi. You know, I guess when it comes to shredding or chops, you know, those guys are not going to compete with your Van Halens and Ingve Malmsteins or Adrian Ballou, you know, but uh, they have a sound that is instantly recognizable. And I think that that's a quality that you want to have as an artist. You want to have that signature that people recognize, and hopefully it's something that's good. <laughs> um, but, you know, otherwise, we're all a dime a dozen. Anybody can learn the technical side of composing. Anyone can learn to be a proficient guitar player, but to be special is a constant meditation on the person you are, the person you want to be. And that's, that runs entirely parallel or interleaved with the artist that you're aspiring to be as well. So that's something I would think about, you know, my, one of my closest friends in life is the fastest guitar player in the world. And I've, I've done guitar clinics with him. We've played NAM shows back in the day when I could actually play like that. I can't think like that anymore, so I don't play like that. But we went, you know, we literally played on bills with all the people who are considered the fastest guitar players in the world. And his mission for the past 25 years is how do I play three notes that are meaningful and substantive? You know, you're never going to beat David Gilmore's comfortably numb guitar solo. I don't care how fast you play. It's never going to even be in the same strata as something like that. So to me, to be able to express that emotion that in that unique way is, you know, it's penultimate is a guitar player. That's great advice. Less is definitely more a lot of times. So I want to thank you for taking time to talk with us. Um, there's been some really great tips and insight into your world. And I know you're busy working on uh future scores and all sorts of exciting things. So I uh, just want to wish you the best of luck and we look forward to talking to you again. All right, John. All right. Thanks, Tyler. Have a great day. You've been listening to the Future Composer Podcast. For more podcast episodes and in-depth articles, visit futurecomposer.com. To learn more about our host, visit johnpresleymusic.com.